welcome back to another episode of Blush. I'm your host, Hiva, and it is the 94th episode, 94th, six left to 100. I believe it's happening the week of, I don't know, the third week of October-ish, something like that. So mark your calendars. I'm not sure what we're going to do. It's going to involve Mylar balloons for sure, without a shadow of doubt. That's all I know. But mark your calendars. I'm pretty fucking pumped. I hope you are too. Okay. Um, I hope everyone had a good Labor Day or Labor Day weekend, I should say. I did nothing. It was really nice. Um, Ozzy's out of town. If it's your first time listening, Ozzy's my boyfriend. We call him Ozzy. That is not his name. It's just what we call him. Anyway, he was out of town. He was at a golf tournament doing the editing, and he really had a he had the worst week of anyone. But I also had a super, super busy week last week because I was getting everything ready to launch my three courses. So that was super busy. And then I kind of worked through the weekend, but also relaxed a bit more because I was working like 12 to 16 hours last week, like per day, I mean, um, which was a massive change for me, frankly. So... Um, yeah, so I kind of relaxed a bit over the weekend, watched some TV, you know, you know how she does and yeah, really did quite literally nothing social. I'm also gearing up for a very social September and a pretty social October, very social September. I'm very, very stressed about it to be completely honest. We're going to two weddings. Um, I have a friend in town for an engagement party. Ozzy will not be here for that. I don't think I have a separate friend in town at a separate time. Um, a, a bunch of people staying at our place. I mean, a bunch of us going places. And then in October, there's a third wedding. There might be some kind of blush event. So stay tuned on that in October. Um, you know, the 100 app party that I'm for sure going to have, even if it's literally just me and Mylar balloon people, it's going to happen. Uh, yeah, it's just, it's going to be a very social two months and, um, I'm excited. I'm, you know, a little nervous, a little nervous. I'd be lying if I said I wasn't a little nervous. It's just, it's, it's a lot of activity, you know, (laughs) it's a lot more activity than I usually engage in. So yeah, really did nothing over Labor Day. You know, one day I'd like to go to the Hamptons. I still haven't been to the Hamptons since I live in New York. So one day I'd like to experience the Hamptons and I don't know, go to some kind of fucking all white party on the beach, you know, Hampton bougie shit that I'm yet to do. So yeah, at some point in life, I'd like to do that. Also at some point in life, I'd really like to go to the US Open because I didn't go last year. I'm not going this year because I didn't even think about it or get it together quick enough. So next year, that is the goal to go to the U.S. Open, especially because I now know how tennis works. Last year during the U.S. Open, Ozzy explained it to you, to me, not to you, (laughs) explained it to me. And let me tell you, if you don't know how tennis works, it is very different than what you're picturing in your head. Like the point system it's unhinged. It is different. Like, I don't know what the fuck happened. Like I, like were people just taking a bunch of acid and they're like, you know what we could do, right? Like you, you pass the ball back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And then the person who can't hit it loses a point. 
right? That would make sense. That seems reasonable. That seems simple. And then there's some kind of timer. And then at the end of the game, the person with the most points wins, right? That's kind of how we've done sports historically. But here's an idea. Why don't we make it way, way, way more fucking complicated than that? And why don't we use a bunch of weird fucking words that make no sense in a sports context here? It's just, it's just more fun this way. It's a little more exclusionary. It makes it so that if someone tries to watch this sport, they will have no fucking clue what's going on. And that's really what we're going for. Honestly, probably the same people who came up with the imperial system came up with the rules of tennis because that tracks. Anyway, it's a really fucking confusing game. And what's really wild about it is like anything could happen at any given moment. Like anyone could win. Anyone could win at it. Like it's not like, let's say in football, if you're 50 points behind, you're not going to win. Like you're just not going to win. Same thing in basketball. It's just not going to happen. It's the time when the coach is going to play the bench so they get like a little more experience, especially if it's against a really good team. Like, you know, when the Knicks coach is Knicks of basketball. Team, um puts in and Nix is who plays at MSG, right? Yeah. Um, right. <laughs> puts in the bench to play against like Golden State so that you know they get to have that experience, right? Well, um, yeah, the, none of that in tennis. Like the game could turn at any given second, and the anxiety that that must give to the players. I mean, tennis is as much, if not more, a mental sport than it is a physical sport. And I know you could say that for a lot of sports, but tennis more so than anything else. I mean, the emotional turmoil, no wonder so many of them have breakdowns in the middle of the tennis court. Like it's, it's a real thing. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, there's a really fun match you should watch. I can't remember the player's name. Hang on. We'll do. It's like John something. Tennis breakdown. John McEnroe, M-C-E-N-R-O-E. Um, he he he's had many breakdowns actually. Just just do a little YouTube. You'll see just full-on breakdowns all the time. In fact, I see one YouTube video entitled John McEnroe is crazy. And to that I say he is not crazy. He is playing a very stressful sport. I would hate to see me if I played tennis in a high-stakes situation. I mean, good God, you think McEnroe's crazy? I will show you crazy. Okay, um, moving right along. Let's see. So we're about to enter Mercury retrograde. I mean, what a transition to tennis to Mercury retrograde. Seriously, though, we're about to enter Mercury retrograde. And here's the thing. I don't really get into this um, and for anyone listening who like has heard the term but never really known what people are talking about, you're missing out on nothing for starters. It's this concept in astrology. So basically what happens is four times a year, I believe, when you look at the planets, it'll appear as though Mercury is going so all of the planets in our solar system circulate circulate. <laughs> That's not the right word. <laughs> orbit the sun and we're all orbiting the sun in the same direction but we are all going at different speeds and we're all going on our own circle 
cool. <laughs> like, we all have our own orbit, right? Because some of the planets are further from the sun, sun, some are closer. Anyway, so four times a year, based on our specific location to Mercury and to the sun and the different speeds and orbits that we're going on, it will appear to us as though Mercury is traveling backwards, but it's not actually traveling backwards. It's traveling in the same direction. So from the get-go, the concept is inaccurate, right? Because Mercury is not actually in retrograde. It just appears to us as though it is. And historically, we didn't fully understand this, so we thought it was going retrograde. So, you know, from the get-go, we're starting with the falsehoods and lies. Anyway, so the concept in astrology is that when Mercury is in quote-unquote retrograde, again, I want to emphasize it's not actually in retrograde. Anyway, when it appears to us that it is in retrograde, we say that things that are related to the planet Mercury are off. And specifically, Mercury is the planet of communication. And in modern day, what we consider to be communication is a lot of technology. So it is a time when technology kind of goes haywire. It's a time when maybe X's pop up, things like that. And they also say that there's like a shadow period to it. So like before the retrograde actually starts is like a little bit of a, you know, questionable time. And after it ends is a bit of a questionable time. Now, I don't really fuck with Mercury retrograde for a number of reasons. Number one, it's not actually in retrograde. <laughs> number two, it happens four times a year. Like I have friends who are like, well, don't do this during Mercury retrograde. And I'm like, cool, if I'm going to have my entire life revolve around when Mercury is and is not in retrograde, like that's just not going to work for me. Like, could you imagine if in law school I was like, yeah, I'm so sorry. I just can't take that exam because Mercury's in retrograde. I would have been kicked out of school. Like it's, it's not a way to operate in the world. And also I think like if you're gonna be like, I think it's like any other kind of superstition thing. Like, I, I, I think shit's going to happen if you believe it's going to happen. That being said, I will acknowledge that every single time there's been a massive Instagram, Facebook, whatever meta company outage, it's happened during Mercury retrograde. I do concede that, I don't know. I mean, in general, I'm kind of this like skeptic optimist with a lot of woo-woo stuff. Like, I don't know that I buy it, but I kind of like the idea of buying it. Like, I think it would be kind of fun. And with astrology, like, I really do think that I am such an embodiment of my entire natal chart. Like, I'm such a Taurus sun. I'm such a Gemini moon. I am such a fucking Leo rising. Like, it all... Fits. It all tracks. But does it all fit and does it all track? Because we all have some characteristics of some signs. And so when you read it, you just pick up the part that you resonate with and you leave the rest. I don't know. I don't know. It's possible. So who the fuck knows? I don't know. I do in general fuck with astrology. I really, really do. And sometimes I am like kind of weirded out about certain things in my chart. I'm like, holy shit, that's so fucking true. So I, I'm not trying to like poo-poo all over the entire concept. I just, I think it's a very poor way to live your life, to be like afraid to do things 
four times a year. I had a friend tell me that I shouldn't launch my courses while we're in Mercury retrograde. I was like, bitch, I'm not going to wait a fucking month. Are you out of your mind? Like there are people who need this content. Like there are people who've been waiting with bated breath for these courses. I'm not going to put it off because a planet appears to be going backwards. It's not actually going backwards. Okay. Anyway, all this being said, yesterday I had a very Mercury, Mercury, Mercury is a very hard word to say, Mercury retrograde E day. Um, I was out for a walk and my Patreon stopped working. I subscribed to one show on Patreon. All I wanted was to listen to it and I just could not do it. I updated the app. I did this. I did that. It was, everything was glitching out. Eventually I realized that Patreon had just deleted my payment info. So they were like, we don't have your payment info. And I was like, cool, you've been doing this shit since December, bitch. Like, why is it not working now suddenly? So I had to go put that in again, yada, yada. And then I got home and I just, all I wanted was to eat some food and watch some TV. And I couldn't like get the fucking modem to work. And like, I, I don't pay for cable. She's a cord cutter. What can I say? Um, so I, I have like Hulu live and, you know, all these other streaming services. So I need the internet to be able to watch TV. Otherwise I may not have cared so much. And so I was power cycling the modem over and over again, and it just wasn't working. And then eventually out of the blue, it just started working. So I don't know. I did have a very strong mercury retrograde kind of day. So I don't know. And again, all of the meta company outages have happened during Mercury retrograde to my knowledge, unless there's an outlier. So, I mean, I don't know, like, is it possible? Sure. Is it like a fun thing to think about? Sure. But I just, I would urge people to not let it dictate their entire lives. Anyway, moving right along. So I have been watching Below Deck Sailing Yacht. I, I understand that every week I come on this podcast and I start talking about a different show in the Below Deck franchise, but let me tell you, Below Deck Sailing Yacht season one is some of the best television I've ever watched. Now, unlike the other below decks within the franchise. This one is on a sailing yacht. And what I've learned about sailing yachts is that they still have a motor. They, they're not, they hardly ever sail. My sister-in-law was like, I can't watch below decks sailing yacht. The sailing is just too stressful for me. And here's the thing. They sail for like 30 seconds per episode. Most of the time the fucking motor is on, but once in a while, when the wind is enough, they turn the motors off and the sails go up and that's what we get to see. And it's pretty fucking wild. I mean, like they're like almost sideways. Like it, it's, it's an interesting way to be, <laughs> but beyond the sailing aspect of it, season one, just the interpersonal dynamics on that boat were fascinating. Specifically, I really enjoyed the chef, Adam, had a thing with the chief stew, Jenna. Now, this is not to be confused with the chef and the chief stew on Below Deck Mediterranean. That's this current season that are dating. That's not what I'm talking about or we're dating. And then there was, you know, the gaslighting and the fight picking, yada, yada, that I talked about a few episodes ago. No, these are different people. And now their dynamic, Adam and Jenna on the sailing yacht is 
absolutely fascinating. So they start, they're like very flirtatious. They have really good banter. It's, it's, it's actually really great for their working environment because the chef and the chief stew tend to work together quite closely. So it's helpful if they have a good working relationship, which they did. And they had a bunch of flirting and banter and it kind of made both of them be better at their jobs. And then their first night out, she gets drunk and she tries to hook up with him. And he's like, uh, no, like, I don't want to do this yet. And then the second night out, they kiss. And then it just keeps going. And basically, like, she's really trying to, like, sleep with him. And he's holding up because he really likes her. And he just doesn't want to jump into it too quick. And then, you know, there's fighting and making up constantly and just like drama and like things like he tries to do things to make her happy. Like this one time she mentioned that no one had ever gotten her flowers. And so he tells someone, he's like, I have to go get garnishes for my food. And like they take him to shore and he goes and forages for all these wildflowers to give her flowers. I mean, how sweet. He like really didn't have the time. Like it was honestly a professionally irresponsible choice to make. And he comes and he brings her the flowers and she doesn't really even like show a reaction. So, I mean, I understand why he was bummed by that. And then he gets like really cold and distant and it's just, it's a lot of like weirdness and I was psychoanalyzing them as I like to do and I really feel like Adam has fearful avoidant attachment style because you could really see the push and the pull with him like you could see how he's he unlike a regular like dismissive avoidant you could see he was like he was actually really really afraid of becoming too enamored and obsessed with her and that's why he was a little bit colder and like a little bit like he would like pull away and become very like not a yeah a little like emotionally unavailable and distant and not get um vulnerable and then but then you could also at the same time see and that's all you know things that dismissive avoidance do but then at the same time you could see him becoming like like so jealous at the thought of her having slept with this other guy and like becoming really annoyed that her and this other girl were giggling about it this is like before he even knew her and like little things like that that are so anxious avoidance style and the combo generally is fearful avoidance and fearful avoidance is generally the result of slightly more serious childhood trauma like growing up in households where there is a lot of abuse so obviously I don't know this person I know quite literally nothing about his background but my guess is there is something there. There is something that has happened. So yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. If you want to see, I mean, just an absolutely fantastic show and you want to see fearful avoidance really play out and how fearful avoidance do a lot of push and pull with their partners and stuff, I highly, highly recommend it. It's always... I think it's so valuable to see stuff like this on a screen, especially in a reality show setting where... It's not scripted. You know what I mean? Like, yes, is there a producer interference? Sure. But I think the producer interference only makes what's really going on become more visible and more dr dramatic, right? The confined spaces, the cameras in your face, the being with people, working with the same people 24-7 and partying with them and doing everything with them, yada, yada. I think all of those things only make 
his actual patterning come to light more. And it's just a very good illustration of it. So if you think you could have fearful avoidance, I would highly recommend watching it. If you're like, I've never understood what fearful avoidance is, I would highly recommend watching it. And if you just want a really good show, I would highly recommend watching it. Okay, while we're here, I will do the rest of the TV recs for the week. I just watched a really cute Netflix movie. It's called Look Both Ways. Lily Reinhardt stars in it. And um, her best friend is this girl whose name I don't know, this actress who was in The Bull Type, which I also recommend. Um, and her parents are very famous actors whose names I don't know. <laughs> um, no, the dad is um the dad is the guy who's in the Royal Tenenbaums who actually played the character that is based on John McEnroe just to bring it full circle. He is Richie Tenenbaum in the Royal Tenenbaums. Um he has a brother Wilson, Wilson, Luke Wilson. That is the father, I believe. I believe. Ooh, I really could be wrong. I mean, I also thought uh, who were they who I thought were the same people? God, I don't even know their names. I thought Die Hard and um, some, oh, Greg Kinnear. I thought Greg Kinnear and Bruce Willis were the same person, right? So like, don't trust me. Maybe this is not Luke Wilson. Oh my God. I'm just going to look up who's in the movie because this is embarrassing. And then her mom is played by an actress who I love, whose name I actually really don't know at all. Let's see. Let's see. Why can't I find the cast of this movie? Really should not be that difficult. Um, and her best friend is played by Aisha D. That's her name. Aisha D is in another show that is called uh, The Bold Type, which is a lot like Younger, which are both on my recommendations list. Okay. I'll just talk about those first. Younger, you can find on Hulu. It's kind of like a not coming of age, I guess, because it's women in their 20s-ish, mainly, some a little bit older. Um, but it's really cute. It's set in New York City. They all work in publishing. And it's, it's you know, like a Friends-type show, but a little more modern, a little girly, a little... I really recommend it if you haven't seen it. And then The Bull Type is very, very, very similar to Younger. Again, set in New York City, they work at a magazine that's very clearly supposed to be like Cosmopolitan. Aisha D is in it, and she's absolutely fantastic in it. And The Bull Type is very um, progressive. Like, there's a lot of progressive undertones to it so I will say like I know people who don't like it because they don't like because like it doesn't align with her political views essentially but if you are a like liberal progressive type you will definitely like it I really enjoyed like it's like very feminist and there's a lot of I don't know it's like kind of educational as you watch it but it's just an entertaining show about you know women in their 20s in the working life, you know, navigating love and career, yada, yada. Okay, back to both look both ways. I've looked up the cast list. It is, in fact, Luke Wilson. I'm so proud of myself. I really was going to have like a full breakdown if it wasn't him. And the actress whose name I couldn't think of, I'm not couldn't think of. I've literally never known what it is. It's Andrea or Andrea Savage. Um, she's really, really funny. So they play her parents. They play Lily Reinhardt's parents. Really good movie. Very, very interesting. It's, it's just like a cute, girly, fun watch. 
Oh, and then the last TV recommendation, I actually have not started yet because I've been waiting for Ozzy to get back. He gets back today. So we're probably going to start it once he's back. It's a documentary on Netflix about that football player who was catfished. This happened like in the 2010s, I believe. 2010s, yeah. Um, In the teens. I don't know what you call it. I just found out that apparently children called the 90s the late 1900s, which is horrifying. I honestly don't even know what to say about that. Anyway, um, so what was I talking about? Oh, yeah, more. Uh, so this guy is Mormon. I, like, I remember when this happened. I don't know if you guys remember, but I remember. I was in the working world, and this football player, I guess, had been like, oh, my girlfriend just died, blah, blah. And then people were like, wait, he's lying. And then it turned out that he was like catfish and this girlfriend never existed. And then she like pretended that she died. Haven't started the documentary. I can't wait to watch it. I remember it was massive, massive, massive news at the time. And I remember one thing specifically, everyone's like, how could he be catfish? Like how, like, this is like a really good football player who like is attractive and like in the public eye, like, how is this happening? Like, how are they not like sleeping together? Yada, yada. And I guess it's because he is Mormon. And I think he was at BYU. I think he was playing at BYU. I really could be wrong. I probably shouldn't have talked about this before I started watching the documentary. Nevertheless, I believe those were the details of it. Um, you'll find out more next week, but, um, it got me thinking, I once had a thing with a Mormon guy. It was in my first job out of college. I worked at a think tank and there was a really cute Mormon guy who worked there who's like nice and funny. And we'd always like all the young people at my job were all kind of friendly with each other. We'd go to happy hours, stuff like that. Now, obviously, Mormon guy did not drink. And um, him and I were just always like really friendly. And then we started to get closer and he would always be like at my desk chatting with me and everyone would always talk about how he's at like, I remember one time I like went to lunch with just the girls and they were like, yo, are you and Mormon dating? Like, what? like, are you guys in a secret relationship? Like, he's always at your desk. Like, you guys are always flirting. And I was like, no, I don't like not that I'm aware of. <laughs> I mean, who knows, you know? <laughs> But yeah, so this like what went on for a while. And then one night we were all out celebrating someone's birthday. I don't know whose. And um, obviously we were all drinking other than Mormon who had driven. And so, oh my God, this was actually so awkward. It's all coming back to me now. Now, one of my coworkers that night broke up with his girlfriend. <laughs> and so he was like, hey, can I crash on your couch? And I was like, sure. Of course. Why not? The number of times my coworkers slept on my couch, like they must have thought it was some kind of like hotel or halfway house or something. In retrospect, I'm like, how weird that like half the people I worked with at one point or another slept in my apartment. Why? Why was this happening all the time? Like that would never happen now. Like in my 30s, I mean, I also don't really have coworkers, but even if I did, like I would not just be bringing my coworkers back to my place and note I wasn't hooking up with them anyway so um so I was like yeah of course and so Mormon guy gives us a ride back I mean it's like a five minute drive from where we were nevertheless he gives us a ride back 
And it's like, it's pretty odd. Like I, I feel pretty uncomfortable. I don't want to speak for other people, but I felt pretty uncomfortable. And so the coworker who's going to stay at my place just like ran out of the car and like ran upstairs into my apartment. And I'm just in the car with Mormon and we kissed. Now I want to emphasize that I had been drinking. He was dead sober. And I was like, interesting okay like so I guess this is the thing everyone's right like he is flirting with me because I was always like I don't understand like a like I don't look I don't have like that blonde hair like clean white girl kind of look to me so like a I just don't think he'd be into me b what would his end game be like he's not gonna have sex and like I can't imagine that he'd want to like seriously date me because I'm not Mormon so like what exactly would be his goal in carrying this out anyway so we kissed and I was like okay interesting and then after that, we like started hanging out all the time. Like he'd come over. It was like a very secret thing. No one at work knew. He'd come over and we'd like make out. And it was very like PG-13. Um, one time I gave him a blowjob, which is very uncharacteristic of me. I think like I like it's like it's something about him not having sex with me. Like I really wanted to get sexual. So yeah, one time I gave him a blowjob, although I mean like it lasted, you know, like 1.4 seconds. Um yeah, it was a very weird thing that happened. And it kind of went on for a while. Actually, oh my God, his parents visited once and we went to brunch together. Like, like they like they must have picked up that some like he was just like, yeah, one of my coworkers I want you to meet. But I like but like what yeah, what a weird thing. What a weird, weird thing. Anyway. <laughs> It was maybe I'll talk more about this situation in the future. Like all these things are coming back to me. You know, it's one of those times where like I really started the situation so like chill and like whatever. And then like as it went on, I started to like kind of be a little bit crazy. Like I remember like doing like kind of unhinged things to try to make him jealous and stuff. Mm, yeah, might have to do more digging into this. Anyway, so I have some listener questions that I'm answering today. So without further ado, I'm just going to get right into it. Question number one. Oh, wait, before I get into it, can I just say this real quick? If you're not familiar, Mormons wear Mormon underwear. It's a whole thing. It's like, it's like kind of like long Johnny, but it doesn't go all the way. And so it's like these um, kind of like boxer briefs that go down to your knees and then like a T-shirt type vibe for the men. So that's a thing. I've seen it. Anyway, not the first time I hooked up with a guy who has like religious garb. I also once hooked up with this Indian guy who wore something like a like like jewelry adjacent around his chest. I mean, I could really like the cultural diversity in my romantic history. I could write a book about various cultures, what I've learned from just making out and not having sex with various men. Okay. Question number one. I've been with my boyfriend for a year and a half now, and I feel like we aren't having sex as much. Is this a bad sign? What should I do? No, not necessarily. I mean, I I think it's largely pretty fucking normal. Um, Ozzy and I in the beginning would have sex like 
four to six times a day slash night. I mean, I remember the first few times when we were sleeping together and he'd sleep over, we would literally have sex like four times overnight. Like we just wake up in the middle of the night and have sex again. Now, <laughs> now let me tell you a story from two weeks ago. I were both working like from home and I go up to him. I was like, hey, I'm about to take a shower. Do you want to have sex afterwards? And he's like, yeah, that sounds good. And then I got out of the shower and it's like 3.37. I was like, fuck, I have a Zoom at four. Should we just wait and have sex after the Zoom? And he's like, yep, works for me. And I was like, wow, we are literally scheduling in having sex right now. <laughs> like that's where we're at as a couple. So no, I mean, I, I think it's really, really normal. I don't think it's a bad sign. I don't think it's anything you need to be concerned about. And frankly, if you're okay with the amount of sex that you're having and your partner's okay with the amount of sex that you're having, then that's it. Done. Case closed. Um, I would recommend a asking yourself, like, are you satisfied? Would you like to have more sex? And then having a conversation, just be like, Hey, I've noticed we're having less sex. Like, are you good? Or like, do you want more sex? Like what, like, what are you thinking? Now, what I will say is I would focus on increasing your non-sexual intimacy. Like, are you still connecting? Are you still like, I don't know, having deep conversations about things? Are you still having fun together? Are you prioritizing spending time together? Like I will say for Ozzy and I, I don't think either of us give a shit that we're not having sex four times in a night anymore. Like I don't think that's an issue for either of us where we really invest our energy is like doing date nights and like, you know, talking and like connecting and things like that. So yeah, I would have, I would focus on that. I also like make out more, like do something like, like once you're in a relationship for a while, you don't make out anymore. You know, why don't you just try making out once or and like also have more foreplay that might make you more interested in sleeping together. But in general, I, I think it's so normal. And, you know, if it is a thing, use it as like a wake up call and be like, Oh, okay. Like, I'll invest more, but like either way, I think when you've been in a relationship for a while, it's nice to take a moment and be like, oh yeah, okay. Like we could be reprioritizing each other. And then it gets really exciting and like all the dopamine, like the early stages come out again. So yeah, that's my advice on that. Question number two, hello, just came across your podcast. There is a pink emoji. Um, just, it's a pink heart. It's the pink heart that looks like it's like three hearts within a heart. Like the heart is kind of growing and bubbling up. Um, I just think it's really critical to the question. Love hearing how you went from anxious to securely attached. How long did that take you? And do you recommend to continue dating while going through this work? Okay. So first off, uh, thank you. Second, it took me a lot longer than it will take you. And that's because I had no blueprint. I like when I first kind of became aware of my patterning, I didn't even know there was a term for this. I hadn't even heard of attachment theory. And then even when I did hear of it, like I really ended up having to forge my own path because I would read all these books about attachment theory. I even did like 
like coaching programs on attachment theory. Like I did a wide variety of things on attachment theory and I learned a lot about it. I learned a lot about my patterning, but I still, I didn't understand how to heal it in myself. And so what I ended up doing was I looked at all of the various types of work and healing and self-improvement and therapy that I had done over the years. And I picked the pieces that worked for me and I combined them all into like a new modality that's specifically focused on attachment styles. So that's why I made the course that I did also, because like, that's what worked for me and no one else has combined them in this way. Like for me, just reading, by the way, now, every time I say for me, I hear the corn sound from TikTok. Like for me, it's corn. Um, anyway, (laughs) I'm just going to try to not say for me anymore. Um, Okay, like literally can't stop thinking about corn now. Great, great, great. Uh, so, <laughs> so that's why I made these courses, right? Because this is what worked for me. Like for me, <laughs> God, <laughs> for me, just like knowing like, okay, this is how anxious attachment comes about. And what is it like the book is like, just date someone who's securely attached. That's that's not the vibe for me. Like I really had to like go and do subconscious level work because in my experience with anything, not just attachment styles, but literally with everything in my life that I've healed, the healing has never come from like just sitting and talking about it, from just journaling, from just anything that happens on the conscious plane, the healing has always come from going into kind of like a hypnotic, deep meditative state and really working on the subconscious stuff. So I took elements that I've learned from hypnosis, from working with NLP practitioners, from somatic body work, from EMDR, from all these various types of therapy and healing that I've tried And I combine them into one modality that's specifically addressing attachment styles. So yeah, it took me a lot longer than it will take you because like I cut out all the fluff that you don't have to go through now. As far as dating goes, it really just depends. I think if you're someone who has not like who, sorry, completely lost my train of thought. I think if you're someone who hasn't spent time being single, like if you're kind of just jumping from relationship to relationship or situationship to situationship by single, I don't mean like not in a committed relationship. I mean, like you've never just had a period where you weren't dating. Then I would recommend maybe taking a little time. I really think it's so important to have time just to yourself. And like for anyone who has never experienced that, who's never had a moment in their life where they just weren't dating, I so, so, so advocate for that. So yeah, if you've never really experienced that, this might be a good time to just go inwards for a few weeks, a month, whatever, and just focus on yourself. If that is not the case for you, and you've had plenty of times where you weren't dating at all, I don't think you have to not date while you're doing this work at all. And if anything, even if you choose to not date for a period of time, eventually it's going to be dating that puts the work that you're doing into motion. Because 
just doing the work is like doing drills in the NFL, right? You can do, I mean, you're going to have to do drills to get strong enough to be able to play games. But if you're just doing drills, like at some point you're going to have to do scrimmages and stuff, because that's where you put all those skills into practice. And that's why they do the preseason. I mean, a lot of why they do the preseason really is just, um, revenue, but also for the players, it is helpful because they, they need to be playing games. Like that's how you put the work into motion. So whether you take time or not, at some point you're going to have to start dating and it's really that dating process. Cause like, it's easy to be good when you're alone. Like I remember before I dated the comedian, I'd done a ton of work on myself and I thought I was like fully healed from all of my shit. And you know, it was like seven years since I'd last dated someone. So I, you know, I really thought I was like, good. I thought I was going in as this like perfect light being and then dating him. I was like, Oh no, 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 no. (laughs) It's because I hadn't actually put the work into motion. So at some point you're going to do it, whether you choose to do it now or not, doesn't matter. The one thing I will say that is so important if you're trying to move towards secure attachment, regardless of where you're coming from you want to try to find someone who is secure because like if you're anxious and you start dating someone who's avoidant, it's only going to exasperate your anxious tendencies. I mean, if you're anxious, you could date someone else who's anxious who would actually frankly push you (laughs) towards the other direction a little bit. But, um, But yeah, you're not like staying in that anxious avoidant trap is only going to make it worse. And so that's why I think it's sometimes beneficial to start doing the work a little bit first before you start dating, because when you start doing the work, you'll naturally become attracted to more secure people. Oh God, sorry. I don't know if you guys can hear my dog barking. I believe the cleaning lady just walked in. So that's great. Sam's just making her appearance on the podcast. Question number three, what is your opinion on texting a guy first? I really try to stay in my feminine and wait for the guy, but sometimes I get so anxious while waiting for a text. Can I ever text first? Generally speaking, yes go for it. I also, I don't like to fuck too much with like the feminine masculine energy stuff. Here's what I will say. Personally, I would never text after a first date. Sam, Sam, stop it. Stop it. I don't think Joe Rogan has to deal with this type of shit, like unprofessional. (laughs) So yeah, after a first date, like I would never text first. And that's because In my experience, like there's just such a strong societal ingraining that like if a guy likes you, he will text you after the first date that I just wouldn't like that was always in my head. What you choose to do is your decision. But I will say this, like, are you always texting first? Like, or if you're always starting a conversation, whether this is in a romantic context or a friendship context or whatever, that I think is a little bit something to look at. So like, I think in general, there should be a bit of like an equal exchange, right? So yeah, I, I don't think like we need to, like, I remember there were phases in my life where I would like never text a guy, like ever, ever. And I mean, it was really just cause like I wanted 
like the validation and the confirmation that they were into me. And probably because I was listening to people being like, oh, be in your feminine, be in your feminine. And I'm not saying like go chase a guy again, because there is like all that societal stuff there that does kind of encourage men to, you know, take the first step. But I will say like, I've talked about this with Ozzy a lot and he's often like, uh, men love to hear from women. Like I would love nothing more than for a chick to text me. And he also was like, you know, when we were dating the first time around, like you never texted me and I never really was a hundred percent sure of like where we stood. So yeah, especially if you're like super anxious, I would go for it. And also if this is someone who you think like you could have something real with, I would just communicate that too, because it's just going to take so much weight and pressure off of you. Okay. Question number four, I get very severe PMS in the past. I've always picked fights with my boyfriends when I'm in that stage because I'm so hormonal and can't control it. I'm dating a new guy now, and I basically just don't talk to him for the week before my period because I'm so afraid of picking fights. What should I do? Okay, number one, I would address the hormone stuff. Cycle syncing might be really helpful for you. I would recommend the book, fuck, what's it called? Woman Code, Woman Code. Really great book about like how to live around your cycle. There's like dietary stuff. There's um, exercise stuff, lifestyle stuff, stuff like that. I actually talk about it in my fight picking course, if that's something you're interested in. So yeah, there really could be these like physical reasons why we pick fights. Um, also just two other things on hormones real quick. Um, seed cycling people really swear by, I've done it for a while. I've stopped doing it. Basically the first half of your cycle, you should be having pumpkin seeds and, flax seeds daily. And then the second half of your cycle, you should be having sesame seeds and sunflower seeds. And the first half of your cycle, I mean your menstrual phase and your follicular stage. The second half, I mean ovulatory and luteal. So yeah, those types of things can help. Also consuming uh, like raw root vegetables and other sources of soluble fiber will help bind with the excess estrogen in your system and help move that out of the body. Sam, stop it. Sam. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I like people swear by raw carrots. I don't know if there's a difference between having raw carrots versus other types of like raw root vegetables and sources of soluble fiber. I don't know. Something to try. Um, okay. So that's the hormones front. Now, number two, I would say communicate with the person that you're dating and just tell him that you have this history and that you're really working on it and you don't want to repeat these mistakes. I think that's going to take a lot of pressure off of you, which in turn will make you less likely to snap. Now, I'm going to say a third thing, take it or leave it. But I wonder if there's something deeper here because yes, like hormones definitely can make us very, very irritable. I don't deny that. I definitely notice myself being a lot more cunty, um, depending on my cycle and like how my hormones are doing in that specific cycle. But yeah, like I can definitely be pretty cunty in my luteal phase for sure. 
but I'm not picking like massive fights. I just like might be more irritable and like, you know, just a little like less pleasant, like a little less cheery. Maybe like my hormones like might fluctuate more and stuff like that. But it's not like if you have a history of getting in like massive fights during that stage, my guess of what's happening is because your hormones are fluctuating, you're having a hard time holding it in, but that's still holding in something else that was going on beneath the surface. Like in my experience, when there is a lot of fighting in relationships and things are very tumultuous, yes, there very often are physical causes. Like you're not properly nourished, your hormones, you're not sleeping enough, you're constipated, whatever. But usually those things just make it so that you can't like hold it in anymore. And by hold it in, I mean, there's something deeper that you're now not able to hold in. So I would look at like, what was going on beneath that? Like, what were you picking fights about? Because my guess is like some kind of emotional need wasn't being met. Like there was something deeper going on and the hormones just made it so that you couldn't keep suppressing the deeper thing and it came exploding out. I really would recommend my fight picking course for you because it can really help you get to the bottom of what's going on and really heal it on like a deeper subconscious level. So check that out. I'll put the link in the show notes. Question number five. I know this isn't the point of the podcast, but you have amazing skin. What do you do? Um, first of all, thank you. Second, I would say it's like 90% diet and 10% topical, but I'll just talk about it. Diet, I just like, I eat a ton of like fresh whole foods. Like that's what I prioritize in my diet. Um, probiotics have made a huge, huge, huge difference in my skin, specifically the type of probiotic that I take. I take seed probiotic. It has been a massive game changer in my skin. Use code BLUSH15 for 15% off, B-L-U-S-H-1-5. Honestly, like if I just don't take it for a while, I notice a difference in my skin immediately. Like it is truly a game changer for me. Number three, I really like, oh, okay. So like now that we're out of diet, this is just like the 10 percent that's topical. I like the Goop Microdermabrasion Scrub. Um, not sponsored at all. I just, I use it. I try to use it a few times a week, but I sometimes forget. Like you kind of massage it on, leave it on for three minutes and wash it off. Um, I sometimes use Royal Jelly as a face mask. I just get it from the farmer's market, keep it in the fridge, get a very small amount because it does go bad kind of quickly and just put like a thin layer over my skin and I leave it on overnight and then wash it off. Um, I have started using sunscreen which I guess people say helps. I don't know. I use the super goop sunscreen. I like it. And then for me and my type of skin, oh my God, for me again, I can't for me. <laughs> um, also, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, you're probably like, what the fuck is this chick talking about? Just look up corn, like literally just Google corn and it'll probably come up at this point. Um, anyway, so for the type of skin that I have, I, my skin does really well with a lot of acids and like specifically my forehead will get like little bumps on it if I don't use BHAs and AHAs on my forehead. 
And I've noticed a huge, huge difference since I've started doing that. I actually had this brand send me some products. Um, they're really like they they're BHAs and AHAs, which are never like a hundred percent natural, but they are clean. So I don't know if you know this about me, but my brother has a clean beauty manufacturing facility. And so anytime I see a product that I'm interested in, I ask him and he asks his chemists. Anyway, so this brand Versed, they have like a very clean BHA, AHA product that I really like. It's I think it's called Doctor's Visit. Um, you can use code HIVA10. It's H-I-W-A-1-0. It's a very, very reasonably priced product. Like my brother was actually really kind of amazed by it. He's like, I can't believe with those ingredients, it's this cheap. They must have very, very small margins to be able to pull that off. And it's a clean BHA, AHA product. And um, yeah, my like it's like completely smooth now. But if I stop using BHAs, and AHAs on my forehead, it'll be just like covered in teensy tiny, like barely visible bumps, but now it's completely smooth. So yeah, thank you. But like I said, it's, it's really like largely diet and the probiotics. Okay. Question number six, my boyfriend and I broke up six months ago and I still can't stop thinking about him. Every love song I hear reminds me of him. I think he's my soulmate. Is the fact that I can't stop thinking about him a sign that we're meant to be together? Oh, this is so sweet. And first off, I'm so, so sorry that you're going through that pain. Like literally, I've been through like the worst of breakups, so I get it. Um, No, I don't think it's a sign that you're meant to be together. Now, is it possible that the two of you could have a happy, healthy relationship together in the future? Sure. Anything is possible. Do I think it's likely? No, probably not. But I know nothing about your situation. I'm just saying that tends to be the exception to the rule. But regardless of whether you two have a happy and healthy future together, I can tell you with full certainty, I don't think the fact that you can't stop thinking about him is a sign that you're meant to be together. I do think the fact that you can't stop thinking about him is a sign that you're in denial. And that could be for a variety of reasons. But in my experience, when someone is stuck in the denial stage of grief for a long time, it usually comes back to some kind of attachment wound, specifically anxious type patterning. So whether that's just straight anxious attachment or fearful avoidant attachment, both of them have that anxious type of patterning. I would look at that. I would look at codependency. Um, I would look at my breakup course because it walks you through all of these things with tons of journal prompts to help you get to the bottom of it and, you know, guided meditations to help you reprocess the trauma that might be causing you to loop like this. And there's exercises for just moving past it. So yeah, I would look at my breakup course, but in general, and that's regardless of whether you two will end up having a future together or not. I think the best thing that you can do Like regardless of what's going to happen in the future, the best thing that you can do is invest in yourself now and invest in your healing. Because if you do get back together, investing in that healing now will help you build this really strong foundation so that the relationship in the future could be better. And if you, you know, there's someone better out there for you, which generally tends to be the case after a breakup, like there are exceptions to the rule, but those are exceptions to the rule. 
then investing in yourself now will again, put you in a position where a, you're not looping like this anymore. You're not stuck on this. Cause that's literally the worst place to be in when you're in that stage of like, Oh my God, are we meant to be together? Like, Oh my God, I hope I hear from him. Oh my God. Every song reminds me of him. I've been there for literally months. It's a terrible place to be in. Like, Oh my God, I would not wish it on my worst enemy. Anyway. Um, yeah. So just getting yourself out of that stage is just going to be the best thing for you and to really properly heal from this and then build a really strong foundation with yourself so that your next relationship, whether it's with this person or not with this person, will be so much better than what you just went through. Question number seven. Oh my God, we still have a ways to go. Uh, my sister loves to bring up something that happened four years ago. It's something that I did when I was in a very different place and I would never do it again. Now she brings it up in a joking way, but it really bothers me. How should I handle it? Okay. Number one. I mean, I do think you should communicate it. And for that, I always recommend using kind of that shit sandwich technique. So like start with a compliment, put it in the middle and then be like, what do you, how, how do you feel? So, you know, like, Hey, I love when we joke around about shit, but it, it really brings up very unpleasant memories and feelings for me. When you bring up this incident, you know, do you feel like maybe you could not do that as much? But what I actually want to talk about is it sounds to me like you're carrying a lot of shame around whatever this incident was. I don't know the situation, but just the fact that it does bother you so much, like I don't, it sounds like you haven't fully processed what happened. It sounds like you feel guilt or shame around it, especially since you said you are in a very different place and you would never do it again now. So what I really would recommend actually is like getting to the root of like, why you carry this shame? Like when have you felt this shame before? Like what was the incident? Why, uh, you know, like why did it happen? How have you grown since then? And like really own and embody all this. And then it's entirely possible that your sister's joking won't even bother you anymore. Or if it does still bother you, you'll be able to communicate it and articulate it in a more... In a more like confident and stable kind of way. So like I always recommend do the internal work first. But yeah, like really get to the root of like why you're carrying that shame. Okay, question number eight. I'm a straight guy and I think I have anxious attachment. I've heard you say that it's more common in females. Why do you think I have it? Um, I think you have it for the same reason that females have it. It is statistically more common in women than in men. Um, that doesn't mean like it's it's not like a biological thing. I think gender differences in general aren't biological. They're the result of raising the genders differently. So anxious attachment usually happens as the result of misattuned and inconsistent parenting. Specifically with anxious attachment, what we see very, very often are parents who either are overprotective or are using their children to fulfill their own emotional needs, like often very enmeshed and simultaneously may not be like super emotionally present for the child. So I don't know, did you like a very common thing we see with boys or like moms who are like, super, super enmeshed with the boy. Did something like that happen? It's literally the same reasons that it would happen for girls. Um, yeah, again, I'm going to plug my course. It can really help you get to the root of why it's showing up for you in your specific situation and help you work through that. 
Question number nine. Hi, I'm so happy I found your podcast. I relate so much to your fight picking behavior. Have you picked any fights with Ozzy? What was the dumbest or silliest fight you've had with Ozzy? Um, thank you so much. No, I don't pick fights with Ozzy. Now we fight sometimes like I'll legitimately be upset about something and voice it to him. It's not like very dramatic. It's usually exactly how I'm saying it right now. I'll be like, hey, this really bothers me and we'll talk about it. It's honestly a shockingly mature and stable relationship. I'm constantly blown away by it because I really, I didn't think I had it in me. Now there is one time that I did pick a fight with him and it was really, really stupid. And I just have to say, I'll tell you the story, but this is not what my fight picking history was like like in the past when I'd pick fights with guys it was never shit like this it was always different stuff but this is the one time I did with Ozzy so it was right after him and I had talked about being exclusive and we were out and some of his friends were there too and I was pretty drunk and um Ozzy was in the bathroom and this guy who was like a friend of Ozzy's friend came up to me and he's like hey let me get your number and I was like I'm dating that guy. And he's like, yeah, I don't care. I like, let me get your number. And I was like, uh, and he was just like so aggressive about it. And I was like pretty drunk and I just like, didn't want to deal with this situation. So in my head, I was like, whatever, I'll just give him my number and then I won't answer. And so I'm in the middle of giving him my phone number and Ozzy walks out of the bathroom (laughs) and he's like, okay, let's go home and like grab my hand and we leave. And so I start freaking out and I'm like, oh my God, what if he's mad at me? I mean, like I would be mad at him if I saw that. Now, obviously like I know the backstory and like, like why I did that. Like he didn't know. He just like walks out to me giving some guy my phone number. So I'm like, oh my God, he must be mad at me. What should I do? What should I do? What should I do? And then in my drunken mind, I'm like, you know what? I know exactly what to do. I will pick a fight with him so that like he thinks I'm mad at him and then he'll forget that he was mad at me and then we'll just move on. So I just start like picking a fight out of thin air. Like I don't even like I'm just like trying to find something like latching onto something to be mad about. But it's like very clear because it makes literally no sense. And he's like having a very hard time following the conversation. And finally, he's like, I'm sorry, like, what, what is going on? Like, I, like, what, like, what are you upset about? And so then I was like, uh, okay, here's what happened. And I confessed the whole thing to him. And he's like, okay, so you're not mad at me? And I was like, no. And he's like, okay, cool, let's go to bed. So yeah, he like literally didn't even care. And I woke up the next day and I was like, I'm so sorry. Like, that was so crazy of me. And he's like, honestly, I've seen worse. It's fine. Like, let's just move on. Like he just like was so whatever about it. And it really made me like really fall for him. But yeah, that's the one time other than that, like I really don't have, uh, like, I really don't pick fights with him the way that I used to. And it's, it's shocking to me. Okay. Three more questions. We're going to get through it. Question number 10. How did you overcome feelings of lack when it came to love such relationships? How did you get to a place of I'd be okay if I'm alone until the day I die? Um, honestly, for me, it was like a ton of internal work, like really getting to the root of like why I felt the need to like why like 
my entire sense of self-worth was like looping around a relationship for a while. Um, like I think in the West, there's so much emphasis on romantic love because we're so disconnected from other types of love, like community. Um, and really like we are wired to want love. We're wired to want connection, but I don't think that that necessarily has to be romantic love. Now I'm not saying like we should just be single forever. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying, I think like for me, it was really, really healing to get to a place where I very authentically was like, you know what, if it never happens for me, that's fine too. Maybe I'll just have flings. And like, I just want to be in community and be around friends and be around love one way or another. Like, I don't want to just like be alone in my apartment forever, obviously. But if that happens, like not via romantic love, I'm okay with that. So yeah, for me, it really was like just witnessing in like a deep meditative state, like the feeling of being loved. Like I, like for me, it came down to the fact that I was like kind of basing my worth on how romantic relationships were panning out. And when I dated Van Guy was when it all kind of clicked for me because I like had this guy who was like so emotionally available, like so emotionally available. And in many ways was a lot of the things that I had needed historically. And I realized in that relationship that being in a relationship doesn't make all your problems go away. It doesn't give you a sense of fulfillment. It doesn't like, it just, it's, it's an icing on the cake, but the cake ultimately is the relationship that you have with yourself. And so that's when it really, really clicked for me. Now it's really hard to like emulate that. So what I would recommend is if you have a meditation practice, especially one that takes you like very, very deep into like you know, a, like a more hypnotic type of state to give yourself the experience of being in a very loving relationship and see how regardless of that, it's still not going to fix all your problems. And I bet your mindset will change on this. Okay. Question 11. Hi, I'm a new listener to your podcast. I've been listening for about a month now, but in that short time, you've helped me so much. I suffer from vaginismus. I pronounced that right, right? Uh, do you think it's related to attachment styles? Um, thank you so much, first of all. Uh, second, I really hope I pronounced that right, but I do know what it is. It's like painful intercourse and not just like P and V intercourse, but like it can hurt to put a tampon in, et cetera. Yes. So I did some research on this and there was a study that happened. I don't know how robust the study is, but they did find statistically significant results between having some form of insecure attachment and vaginismus. So I thought that was absolutely fascinating. And moreover, they found this with all types of insecure attachment, not just anxious attachment, but they found it with avoidant attachment also. And I would presume then fearful avoidant would go within that. So yes, in general, they found the incidence of vaginismus to be quite low in people with secure attachment and much higher with people in people with some form of insecure attachment. So yes, I do think it's related. And I think it makes a ton of sense. I mean, when you think about it from the avoidance side, if you're 
emotionally avoiding intimacy, it can make sense that your vagina would quite literally close off and not want to accept physical intimacy. On the other hand, when we uh, look at anxious attachment, when you're just so preoccupied with a relationship, your brain is basically looping on an inevitability of pain coming up, right? Like that's like your brain is just like, I know that I'm going to be in pain. And so that then translates into the body. Plus like a third very important related factor is when we don't address our emotional pain, it very often manifests in physical pain. I would recommend listening to the episode that I did with my somatic therapist, Andrea Lee. I believe it's the first episode of this year. And actually I would really recommend working with her because she's quite an expert in pelvic floor, everything. And she had like all this unexplained vaginal pain that was looping for so long and she couldn't get to the root of it until she finally was like, did somatic body work and got to the root of like her childhood trauma and reprocessed that. So she's a really good person to work with. Also, I always will recommend my course because it does have a lot of like deep, profound, um, attachment style healing, but yeah, yeah, you're hitting the nail on the head. Okay. Last question. First off, let me say that I love your podcast. It has helped me with my anxious attachment so much, and I've already felt myself improving on my anxious behaviors. So thank you. I've been cheated on in my past relationship and it ruined me. Now I have this fear that it will happen again. My new man has given me no reason to worry about other women, but the fear is still there. I know it's all about trusting him, but the what if thoughts are consuming me. Any tips to work through this? Yes, 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 yes. And like, I know I need to trust him is my favorite phrase because like, okay, but how, right? There's all these things. Like I remember when I like went through a really bad breakup and I had friends who were like, just get over it. And it's like, okay, but how? Like we can all pretend that we feel a certain way, but unless it's actually deep in there in your bones, you're just white knuckling it. Like you're just trying to will something into happening and it's not going to happen until it's actually there on a deeper subconscious level. So what you went through with the cheating is a form of trauma and our body tends to disassociate in trauma and not fully process it. So what you really need to do is actually reprocess that trauma and then you can work through it. Um, I really like EMDR for doing this. Uh, you know, I'd recommend working with the EMDR professional. If that's not accessible, I look through my course because it could be helpful for you. But again, you might need to actually work one-on-one with a professional. I don't know, like only you will know. Um, I also would start thinking about like, like what, like has anything happened before that relationship where you were cheated on? Uh, was there any infidelity in your house growing up? Even if it wasn't like romantic sexual infidelity, were there times when people weren't showing up for each other the way that they should be? Did like was were people's needs emotionally neglected? Not necessarily yours, but like, did you witness like one of your parents' needs be emotionally neglected? Was it, like I would look at like older things from childhood in addition to this like very obvious and clear trauma because there could be incidents from before that. 
that were already happening. And those are all things that you need to reprocess. And then you'll like the trusting your partner who is giving you no reason to worry will come naturally. But I have to say, like, I really commend you on the self-awareness here because it's so easy. Like I see it all the time where people just don't recognize that they're having this trauma looping and that's the place that they're operating from. And they just let it run over and take over every single relationship that they're in. So yeah, I really, really want to commend the self-awareness and the desire to grow because that desire will really motivate you and fuel you to grow into a better version of yourself. And that will affect every area of your life, not just this relationship. But yeah, I would look at trauma work, whether it's like somatic body work or EMDR. Um, if those don't appeal to you or, you know, you want to do those alongside the course, I would highly recommend that. Or if simply like working one-on-one -on -one with someone isn't feasible for you at this point in time, look at the course. I'll link all three of the courses since I mentioned them a few times in this episode. But, you know, the one thing I really want to say, and I understand I'm like running super over time here, not that there is like a specific time, but, you know, for all, like, I think there's a really common thread in you know, most of these questions, maybe not like the skincare one <laughs> where there is behaviors that are in the current present that come from traumas that have happened in the past. And there's this like quote I remember I once read that was like, heal what happened to you so that you don't bleed on someone who didn't cut you. And I think that really applies to a lot of what we're talking about here. And the cool thing is like, it's totally possible to do this. And I'm living proof of this. I mean, look, like I said it before where I was like, I'm shocked at how like stable and mature and adult the relationship that I'm in now is because I've never been like this. I've always picked fights, always without fail. Either I picked fights because I care too much or I like didn't give a shit or like whatever, but like I've always picked fucking fights. And if I wasn't for a short period of time, it's because I was actively trying not to. Whereas like now I live free. Like I don't have to be like, oh my God, Heba, don't do that. Oh my God, Heba, act like this. Oh my God, Heba, like bite your tongue, hold this, like, you know, avoid talking to him, this or that, like, you know, just play it cool. I don't do any of that. It's just my natural state now in this relationship. And it, Yes, is the fact that the relationship's good and like the partner's present, yada, yada, helpful. Yes, but really it comes from having done that deeper internal work. And that's why I really advocate for like doing things on a subconscious level because that's what actually worked for me. Like everything else that I did, it helped on a surface level. But then if I was in any way infirm in myself, like if I had had a drink or I was PMSing or whatever. I didn't have like the willpower then to hold it all in. But once I did the subconscious work, I didn't need the willpower anymore. It's just my natural state now. And that's why I created these courses because I want everyone else to get here also. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. Love you guys. We'll talk next week for the 95th episode. Countdown to 100 continues. Seriously, love you guys. Links will be in the show notes, rate, review, subscribe. Like actually, if 
you know, I, you put it, submitted a question and I answered it and you took something from the answer. Will you please, please, please leave a review. It helps the podcast so much. Share it with your friends. You know, the drill. Love you guys. Thank you.